0: Welcome back to the 5K Every Day in the month of May 2021 podcast. I'm Jeff Pullen and what a day we had yesterday. 5K Mayhem was awesome. If you finished or even attempted 5K Mayhem, I would love to hear about your experience. Did you go further than you thought you could? Did you rock it? Was it easier or harder than you thought it would be? Let me know by leaving a comment on the blog at www.jeffpullenmusic.com. Our group in Apple Creek, Ohio, rocked the 5K Mayhem Challenge. Congratulations to everyone who attempted the challenge, and a big congratulations to everyone who managed to finish the challenge. In our family, we had four 5K Mayhem finishers. I was able to finish the challenge, my bride finished the challenge, and two of my daughters, Piper and Abigail, both finished the challenge. Taylor attempted the challenge and made it one lap further than she did last year. It was a crazy, awesome day. I'm glad we did it. And I'm glad it's over. To kick off today's podcast, let's get some blood flowing with a song from Poland Band called Alive to Shine. forget that today is check-in day be sure to go to the blog at www.jeffpullamusic.com and click on the 5k may 2021 check-in number three blog post leave a comment by answering the questions in the blog post and get ready for the final check-in in two days on june 1st this has been an amazing challenge i hope that you have enjoyed it i can't believe how quickly may has flown by On behalf of Jeff Pullen Music, Vertical Runner of Worcester, and Better Life Coffee, we just want to say thank you for being a part of the challenge. We hope you have loved it. Now be sure to finish strong. Lord willing, we will be back for another round of the 5K Every Day and the Month of May Challenge in 2022. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. There are still a few days left, and we still have a bit of Bible reading left as well. So let's go ahead and get right back into the final chapters of the Gospel of John. Chapter 20 Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her, because they have taken away my lord she replied and i don't know where they have put him she turned to leave and saw someone standing there It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, then she gave them. His message. That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord! But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hands into the wound in his side. Eight days later the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe! My Lord and my God! Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs, in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him you will have life by the power of His name. I love the purpose statement blatantly sitting at the end of John 20. The disciples saw Jesus do many miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him you will have life by the power of His name. That's John 20 verses 30 and 31. Make no mistake about it. John wrote a firsthand account of what he witnessed while walking with Jesus for the sole purpose of helping people believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, they will have life by the power of His name. I love it. That purpose statement makes me stop in my tracks and ask myself, why do I do the things that I do? There's no higher calling than to help people come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing receive life in His name. I want everything that I say and do to be towards that end. Why do I record these crazy podcasts? To help people believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing they would receive life in His name. Why do I run? To help people believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing they could have life in His name. Why do I sing to help people believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing they would receive life in his name? Why do I love my wife, my children, to help people believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name? Of course, there are other reasons beyond this foundational mission statement for why I do these things, but at the core, why I do what I do is to help people believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing would receive life in his name. Chapter 21. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there: Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the Twin, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out into the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore there were 153 large fish and yet the net hadn't torn now come and have some breakfast jesus said none of the disciples dared to ask him who are you they knew it was the lord then jesus served them the bread and the fish This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, Follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, What about him, Lord? Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. I want to be very clear when I say that I do not believe that you need to know and understand Greek or Hebrew in order to understand the Bible. I believe that God has given us everything that we need in order to live lives of godliness. In short, I believe what Peter has written in his second epistle. He said this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. That's 2 Peter 1, verse 3. And with that being said, we sometimes miss out on the richness and the depth of the scriptures when we only read it at face value in English. I think this is true of John 21, especially in Jesus and Peter's campfire conversation. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. That's John 21 verses 15 through 17. This conversation is not exactly as it appears. The English language misses it. And I want to help us to see it today. First, though, we should back up far enough to catch the heart of Peter, the disciple who abandoned Jesus and denied him three times pretty immediately after saying he would never deny Jesus. Good intentions, bad follow through. I think Peter gets a bad rap here, and I want to help us to see his situation from a slightly different light. From my perspective, I think it's a more accurate light. Put yourself in Peter's sandals for one moment. In John 13 at the Last Supper, Peter declared boldly that he was willing to die for Jesus. See John 13 verse 37. Jesus responded to this by telling Peter that before the rooster crows, Peter will not die for Jesus but will actually deny him three times. Now let's skip ahead to John 18 when Jesus is betrayed by Judas and the Roman soldiers and the temple guards were there to arrest him. Who was it that pulled a sword out and started slashing and hacking? It was Peter. I think Peter was serious. He was showing here that he was willing to die for Jesus. And what did Jesus have to say about all of this? Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword back into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup of suffering that the Father has given me? That's John 18 verse 11. Now again, put yourself in the sandals of Peter. There you are, willing to die for Jesus, pulling out your sword and fighting the people who are coming against him. And yet he tells you to put your sword back into its sheath. What? How could you even process this? I'm willing to die for you, but you say, put away your sword? Now imagine your utter confusion as you tried to process all of this. Imagine the flood of emotions running through your heart and the overload of information running through your mind. Peter was frozen. What do I do now? Jesus was arrested and tied up and Peter followed, though from a distance. Where are they taking him? What do I do now? He doesn't want me to fight for him. How do I help? He winds up at the high priest's house, confused, unsure of what to do. What is going on? In this moment, as he is certainly trying to find out what is going on inside with Jesus, he is accused three times of being a disciple of Jesus. He denies the accusation three times, and then the rooster crows. And as Luke tells us, Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. That's Luke 22, verse 62. Why was he weeping bitterly? I don't believe that Peter had a category in his mind for everything that had transpired in that short period of time. I don't doubt for one moment that Peter was willing to die for Jesus, but in the madness and at Christ's command, he didn't follow through with it. To make matters worse, as he was attempting to get close enough to the trial to possibly rescue Jesus that we didn't know how because Jesus told him to put away his sword, he found himself actually denying Christ on three separate occasions. What happened? How could this have happened? Who am I? What have I done? When Jesus shows up on the shore here at the beginning of John 21, Peter has gone back to his old way of life. I believe that after denying Christ, Peter was ashamed of himself and of what he had done. He went back to what was safe. He went back to the one thing that he knew for sure about himself. He was a fisherman. We find him here in John 21 out on the lake fishing, no doubt trying to just forget about the whole thing, probably the whole time, from the moment that he left his life of fishing to become a disciple of Jesus to the moment that he denied him. But Jesus didn't let him go that easily. Jesus was on the shore while Peter, along with some of the other disciples, were out fishing on the lake. The fishing stunk and they hadn't caught anything all night, though I doubt they were honestly fishing as much as they were just thinking. The mystery man on the shore, whom we all know to be Jesus, said to put the net on the other side of the boat. Of course, this is a ridiculous idea. If the fish were not on the left side, they most certainly were not going to be on the right side. But the ridiculous idea worked. They hauled in 153 large fish. We'll go ahead and skip past that very specific number and simply say that the disciples recognized this miracle as being the hand of God. And they realized that it was Jesus who was on the shore immediately the disciples headed back to the shore to be with jesus peter however put on his outer garment and jumped into the water now i've heard many sermons in which the pastor claims that peter was so excited to see jesus that without thinking he put on his outer garment and jumped into the water attempting to beat the boat back to the shore yeah i don't think so to put it frank that is the dumbest thing i have ever heard Peter is a fisherman. He knows better than to think that adding his outer garment would somehow make him faster in the water. A human wrapped in an outer garment is not going to beat a boat in a hundred yard dash. The outer garment was not meant for speed. It was meant for hiding himself. I believe Peter was hiding. I believe that Peter also realized that the man on the shore was Jesus, but he was afraid to speak to him face to face because he knew he had failed Jesus. I believe that Peter put on his coat and jumped into the water behind the boat to hide himself and to make sure that he was the last disciple to get on shore. I don't believe for one moment that he was initially excited to see Jesus. I think he was terrified to see Jesus. But Peter's plan of avoiding Jesus didn't work. How could it? He would have to face Jesus eventually. So Peter pivoted from a strategy of avoiding Jesus to a strategy of overachieving. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. That's John 21 verses 10 and 11. Jesus did not ask for Simon Peter specifically to grab the fish, but Simon was in earn it mode. I got it. I got it. Perhaps if he worked hard enough, Jesus would forgive him for denying him three times. Maybe that would do the trick. Have you ever been in that situation, either avoiding God or trying to earn God's favor with overachievement? It is a waste of time. God already knows everything about you, including where you are at every moment of every day and every thought that you think and every action that you perform, there is no use avoiding him. You also cannot earn his love. You already have it. You don't have to overachieve and he'll still love you if you underachieve. His love for you is not based on your performance at all. It is based on who He is and the fact that He created you to be exactly the you that He created. I'm sure that Peter was silent during the meal with Jesus and the disciples. And Jesus waited patiently until after breakfast was over and Peter had nothing in his hands or mouth. Once the time was right, Jesus began a life transforming conversation. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? That's John 21 verse 15. More than what? More than fish? More than the disciples? What are the these? It doesn't matter. The focus of the conversation is not actually on the these, but on the difference between Jesus's question and Peter's response. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. That's John 21 verse 16. Now, can you see it? Probably not. Jesus is using the word agape, which gets translated into English as love. And this is a fair translation, but it poses a bit of a problem for English readers. Agape is the strongest form of love that Jesus could have used at that moment. It is a committed, willful, expressive, active, delight in type of love. Husbands and wives show agape love toward one another. John says that God the Father shows agape love towards us in 1 John 3.1, and Jesus calls us to show agape love towards Him in Matthew 22 verse 37, and in this moment, Jesus asks Simon Peter if he agape loves him. Simon Peter says, yes, right? No. He actually says, you know I phileo love you. Peter changed the word. Phileo is a term also translated to love, which is more of a brotherly love, a necessary, like, family kind of love. We're family. Of course I love you. Not the same word. Have you ever wondered why Jesus asks the same basic question three times? Well, first off, I personally believe that the three times coincide with the three denials, but second off, he doesn't. The second question is the same. Simon Peter, do you agape love me? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo love you. But the third is different. This time Jesus changes the question. Simon Peter, do you phileo love me? This time Peter was hurt by the question, why? This is beautiful, but it's easy to miss. Jesus changed the question because he wanted to meet Peter where he was at. Jesus essentially lowered himself to Peter's level as a starting point to give Peter something he could agree with. Peter hadn't actually agreed with Jesus the first two times. And Peter was hurt not because Jesus asked the question three times, but because he changed the question on the third time. Peter missed his chance. He couldn't bring himself to declare that he agape loved Jesus. So he experienced deep hurt and declared once again, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. At this point, Peter still felt like a mess-up, but Jesus can work with mess-ups like Peter and like me and like you. In fact, Jesus met Peter right where he was and led him into becoming an amazing man of God as seen in the book of Acts and in First and 2 Peter. Unfortunately, this is easy to miss in the English. Now, as we wrap up the Gospel of John today, I want you to consider how God is reaching out to you today. Have you been avoiding him? Have you been trying to earn his love? Like with Peter, it doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. He is willing to meet you where you are at and to walk with you to help you become the amazing follower of Christ that he has created you to be. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the forty days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the Apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went up to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit, speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling head first there, his body split open, spilling out all his intestines. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place the Aramaic name Akeldama, which means field of blood. Peter continued, This was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, Let his home become desolate, with no one living in it. It also says, Let someone else take his position. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas, from among the men who were with us the entire time when we were traveling with the Lord Jesus from the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken up from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men. Joseph, called Bersabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. Sometimes the most obvious things can be the easiest things to miss. We are probably all somewhat familiar with Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. Pretty straightforward, right? But what did the disciples do with this incredibly straightforward command from the Lord Jesus? After saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. That's Acts 1 verses 9 through 11. This is the last time that Jesus is on earth with his disciples. And in this moment, he gives them a very clear directive. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what do they do with this clear directive? They march straight to Jerusalem, right? Wrong. They just stand there, staring into the big, empty sky. Thankfully, two angels snap them back into reality. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? They had a job to do, and so do we. We are called to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. No hidden Greek words there. But too often, we are just standing around, staring, doing nothing of eternal significance. I love what the old English preacher from the late 1800s, the great Charles Spurgeon, once said, Brethren, do something, do something, do something. While societies and unions make constitutions, let us win souls. I pray you be men of action, all of you. Get to work and quit yourselves like men. Old Savaro's idea of war is mine. Forward and strike. No theory. Attack. Form a column. Charge bayonets. Plunge into the center of our enemy. Our one aim is to win souls. And this we are not to talk about, but do in the power of God. That's Charles Spurgeon. And I think it is crystal clear that God has called us to advance the gospel and make disciples in this generation as well. Wherever we are and wherever we go, may our focus be on helping people believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing they may receive life in his name. To send you out today, here is a fitting song from If We called I Will Be a Witness.